Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Pre-game party this Saturday night ahead of D.C. United's next match. Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free old-time lager. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a drive hit to deep center field. Victor Robles moving back, looking up, and this ball is gone. Goodbye. A home run for Rayleigh into section 143 to the right of dead center field. First home run of the year for Luke Rayleigh on the first pitch thrown from Trevor Williams after the throw over to first base. It's a two-out, two-run homer in the first. The Rays two, and the Nationals nothing. Right-handed hitter, his stance wide open. The 1-0 pitch. Launch to left field, forget about it. Deep toward the corner and long gone. Halfway up section 105, Isak Paredes with his first homer of the season makes it 4-0 Rays. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Sadly, there is no Nats winning streak in this 2023 regular season. Not yet, anyway. We'll get one at some point, but we don't have one just yet. Uh, the Nats fell to 1-3, and three, a 6-2 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Nationals Park on Monday night in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats in this game, just two runs, just four hits, just one walk. We did get a home run. That was nice. Jamer Candelario in a Nats one-run ninth, a leadoff full count opposite field homer to left center field, but... The Nats' other three hits in the game were singles. Uh, the Nats, over four games in this regular season, have nine runs. Yes, four games, nine runs. Uh, Mark, this is not a surprising development, but uh, this certainly is tough to take. Yeah, and, you know, I want to look at this a couple ways out. The numbers are, are one thing. And you say, okay, you scored two runs or you know, basically two runs a night is what they're producing. Well, okay. And yes, there's been some good pitching. They faced the Braves and the Rays, two of the best teams in baseball, some really good pitchers, including Drew Rasmussen in this game. But to me, even more staggering than the totals is just how they look and how these at-bats are going and what the result of some of these at-bats are. There's just not a lot of solid contact There are very few balls hit in the air. It's a lot of ground balls. It's strikeouts. They're not stringing together anything. There was nothing in this game, not one moment, 
that you perked up and said, okay, they got something going here. Maybe they got a little rally brewing. They had nothing like that in this game. The best offensive inning they had in this game was the bottom of the seventh when they scored their first run. In that inning, they sent six batters to the plate. Not one of them hit the ball in the air. Not one of them hit the ball out of the infield. And that was still unquestionably the best offensive inning of the night. That tells you how weak this was. It is jarring. I mean, if you're watching these games, you know, you look at like the innings in which the Nats are scoring runs. So Monday night, okay, you did get the home run. That's true. But the Nats on Monday night scored their first run in the bottom of the seventh. And they in that inning scored via a fielding error, an infield single, and an RBI ground up. Like that's how they're scoring. You go back to even the Nats' biggest inning so far in this regular season, that four-run first in the win on Sunday afternoon, that 4-1 win over Atlanta at Nationals Park. The Nats in that four-run first didn't have, say, you know, a three-run homer or multiple extra base hits. No, the Nats in that four-run inning, okay? Four-run inning is pretty good, right? The Nats in that four-run inning, three singles, three walks, and RBI sack fly. Like, this really is the classic, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, nickel and diming teams. And, you know, we've said this many times. I think everyone listening understands this. It's very difficult to make a living that way offensively. Like, it's not sustainable if you're going to try to have, you know, prolonged offensive success in a season. I guess the question, though, is this. Is this lineup capable of much better than this? Like, we would say, okay, with a guy like a C.J. Abrams or a Luis Garcia, there is hope, there is promise. But, you know, you look at this lineup game in, game out, I'm not sure how much better this realistically is going to get. There will be stretches in which the Nats hit better. Okay, I mean, I do feel confident in saying that, but this is not an intimidating lineup. This is not an imposing lineup, and it's not like these guys are oozing with track records that say to you things are definitely going to be getting better. I think that's the biggest concern is that there is no guaranteed really productive hitter in there. We talked about that coming into the season. There are guys who maybe could or we've seen it from them either a few years ago or for a few months, like in Joey Manessis's case. But there isn't anyone that you can 100% say, I know this guy's going to have a big season offensively. Now, that said, I do think they can be better. I think Joey Manessis is better than what we've seen here so far. I think other than opening day, he hasn't really done much yet. I think Dom Smith and Jamer Candelario have the ability to drive the ball to the gaps and hit some doubles and the occasional home run. I think we know that Kbert Ruiz has some ability. We know Lane Thomas has some ability. So there is something there, but I keep coming back to the ground balls and it's really frustrating to see in today's game. And, you know, again, There are a lot of pitches at the knees. They were chasing. They were reaching for a lot of pitches in this game. So you can understand why that was the result. And maybe against a little bit of lesser pitching, you might see something better. But I can live with two, three runs if they're hitting the ball hard. They're hitting line drives. If they're even if they were hitting balls to the warning track and they're just being caught. But like that's not what's happening here. These are this is weak contact and zero launch angle on it. And I want to believe that will get better for some of these guys, but I think there's also still a few of them who don't have the track records, and you don't really know if they are going to be able to figure that thing out. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Abrams did end the game with a deep flyout, you know, but he doesn't have a hit so far in this regular season. You mentioned Joey Manessis. He has the same number across all three departments in his slash line, 176, 176, 176. That's not supposed to be that way. I mean, how about this? The Nats have a higher on-base percentage than they have slugging percentage so far this season. Now, you know, early, yes, and neither number is impressive, but the Nationals for this regular season 
have a team on base percentage of 268 and have a team slugging percentage of 262. I mean, you know, again, it's not supposed to be that way, okay? You're supposed to hit for enough power to where the slugging is higher than the on base. That's not the case four games into this season. I mean, you know, you think about the Nats, right? And we know what the expectations are for this year. And the two biggest worries are maybe the two most important things in baseball, hitting and starting pitching. You know, at least with the starting pitching, I think there is a feeling of, hey, Mackenzie Gore, if he catches fire, Josiah Gray, if he gets himself straight, you know, Trevor Williams is coming off a good season last year. Maybe, possibly, you can seduce yourself into thinking the starting pitching can be okay. I think it's tough with the offense. It's not impossible, okay? But I think it is tough with this offense to say to yourself, like, yeah, no, they're going to end up being all right offensively. Maybe. I hope so. But it's hard to envision that right now. The two home runs they've hit as a team so far have both been solo homers in the bottom of the ninth when they're trailing by a bunch of runs. (laughs) So not exactly meaningful drives. Let's hold judgment. Let's at least see what happens at Coors Field over the weekend. Four games at Coors Field. I know it's going to be cold there, but the air is still thin. Maybe that will get some of them going a little bit if they can just hit the ball in the air. We said from the outset going into the season, to me, that was the biggest concern. I did feel like the pitching was going to be better. Defense was going to be better. We felt like the bullpen had the chance to be good, but I was concerned about this lineup's ability to score runs. And four games in against good pitching, it has unfortunately proven to be what we feared it might be so far. So you asked Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Monday night about the lack of elevating of balls. And I don't want to say he got defensive, but, you know, he was kind of like, hey, we're trying, you know, we're just not doing. They try to get the ball in the air. You know, Candy was trying to hit the ball in the air. It's just sometimes you got to look at who you're facing, and, you know, for, for the most part. You know, anytime this issue of the Nats not hitting with launch angle comes up, it's impossible not to at least think. They used to have as their hitting coach the guru of launch angle, Kevin Long, and, you know, he hasn't been here now for a few years. I mean, just for the record, it is being impressed upon these hitters to try to hit with launch angle and elevate balls, right? I mean, it's not like that has been de-emphasized since Kevin Long left, correct? Uh, I'm pretty sure that is accurate, yes. I do think they, in the last few years, have been trying to emphasize contact and the idea of their biggest thing right now is don't chase. There are too many guys on the team that chase pitches out of the zone. And Davey pointed out they were much better at that on Sunday in the game they won, and then they reverted back on Monday and really chased a lot of pitches out of the zone. So I think there is that. I think they, yes, they know that the idea is to hit the ball hard and hopefully in the air. But I also do know that they are not necessarily approaching this as the swing from your heels and just try to launch the ball as high and as far as you can. No, especially in situations, they want contact up the middle, moving the baseball as he likes to term it. But that does not mean that they don't believe in the idea of hitting the baseball, you know, with a positive angle, not a negative angle. They do understand that. And, and let's be clear, Kevin Long didn't invent this idea. Ted Williams was talking about it 75 years ago. So it is a foundational thing in baseball. Try to hit line drives, try to hit the ball in the air. It is better than hitting the ball on the ground. Uh, yes. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So good to know that the Nats do have a comprehension of that. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now, and there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of, zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000 and you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, zero interest for five years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Nat Chat listeners. Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast. Here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the game time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, GameTime offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Now the pitch. Swing and a dribbler again up the first baseline. A lot of spin. Williams fell down. Now shot puts it from his knees to first. It gets by Smith. Garcia chasing in foul ground. He tries to throw to second on three hops and not in time. Unbelievable. The Rays have been hitting these dribblers off Williams. That one took an unbelievable spin going toward first, then a left turn toward the mound. Williams slipped and fell down. Then from his knees tried to shot put it to first. Looking again at what happened at first, the base runner, Margot going to first, knocked the glove off of Smith. This is why he couldn't catch the ball. He hit Smith's glove. Well, and Davey Martinez is asking the umpires to huddle to see about interference on the runner. I mean, we, we've, we've potentially, had, had, enough we've potentially had two Trey Turner rules in this inning, and so far neither one's been called. So the Nats starting pitcher on Monday night was Trevor Williams. He made his Nationals regular season debut. You know, if somebody asks you who was the biggest offseason acquisition for the Nationals contractually, the answer is Trevor Williams. Uh, now, I know that that's not saying much, but a two-year, $13 million free agent contract that he signed in December. Trevor Williams, like I said, coming off a good season with the New York Mets. You know, he has been used as both a starter and a reliever in his career. But Trevor Williams, last regular season for the Mets, 30 games, including nine starts, ERA of 321, ERA plus of 120. Trevor Williams on Monday night had kind of an odd game. Four runs, three earned in five innings. He gave up six hits, two homers, and four singles, although three of the singles were infield singles. He only issued one walk. He had three strikeouts. He over his five innings threw 93 pitches. The home runs certainly hurt him quite a bit. Williams in the top of the first gave up two runs on a two-out infield single by Randy Arozarena, and then a first pitch, two-out, two-run homer by Luke Raley on a bond to center field. And then Williams in the top of the fourth gave up a leadoff homer to Isak Paredes to left field. But you also had what happened in the top of the second in which Williams gave up a run on back-to-back one-out infield singles and then a one-out RBI sack fly. And Williams had throwing issues on each infield single. He gave up a one-out infield single to Josh Lowe on a dribbler down the first baseline that Williams fielded. He then made a throw that was low. Uh, the ball bounced in the dirt in front of Dominic Smith at first base. And then came a really weird play. Williams giving up a one-out infield single to Manuel Margot on a weekly hit ball that caused Williams to stumble. Then he made this like shovel throw to Dominic Smith. The ball got by Smith. And upon watching the replay, you saw Margot collided with Smith's glove, knocking it off Smith. Williams got charged with a throwing error. I don't know. I thought Margot was guilty of some kind of interference, knocking the glove off Dom Smith like that. But, you know, certainly not a great outing from Williams, but also some weird and just unfortunate stuff that happened with him, too. Yeah. For the record, Davey Martinez agreed with you about that interference call. Oh, hey, maybe we've seen that one once or twice or 17 times before, and it never goes the Nationals' way. It's a judge. You know, that's the second part of our rule sucks, to be honest with you. you know, the fact that it's a judgment call, just call it right. He did manage to at least get the umpires to confer before they decided no, no interference. So maybe a little bit of progress there, you know, from Davey. But that was such a weird sequence. These little back-to-back dribblers, almost to the exact same location, collectively, I think it was 76 miles an hour of exit velocity combined on the two dribblers, and they got two singles out of it and ultimately scored the run. Trevor Williams, like, he caught his ankle trying to go after the first one and twisted it. They actually weren't even sure he was going to be able to stay in the game. He did. 
he has to make that awkward, like just desperation throw that led to the potential or not called interference. I don't know. It was just a weird, weird sequence. I also want to go back to the first inning, the home run right before that. This is the other infield single, the Rosarena one. CJ Abrams, he didn't play it awfully, but he didn't come charging in on the ball maybe as much as he could have. And that might have been the difference on a bang, bang play. Credit to Rosarena. He hustled down the line and he beat it out. But if Abrams is just a little quicker to the ball, throws him out, that's a one, two, three top of the first. And who knows how things go from there. Now, that said, you're Trevor Williams. You can't give up a two-run bomb on the very next pitch. And that, you know, is his fault for that. So I didn't think he was bad, but I also didn't think he was especially good. And at some moments in this game where if he just executes either a pitch or executes a throw or a fielding play, it could have been a very different story. And forget about what the Nats offense did. If they somehow had kept this at a one nothing or 2 nothing game, at least you're thinking there's the possibility of something coming late. Instead, you're down 4 nothing, and we know with this lineup, that's almost insurmountable. Yeah, a Rosarena can run. I mean, he was motoring down that first baseline on that play there with Abrams. Do you know with Trevor Williams, I mean, we think about, you know, Mackenzie Gore probably going to have a workload limit. Josiah Gray, I don't know if he'll have a workload limit, but, you know, he is a younger pitcher. I mean, Trevor Williams isn't accustomed to throwing, you know, 150, 180 innings in a season. Is there any kind of a limit on him given this background of, you know, starter slash reliever and the Nats or at least beginning this season with him as a full-time starter? You know, I remember asking that when they signed him and the answers seemed to be they're not all that concerned. He has done it before. It's been a couple of years since he's done it. He's also not a young pitcher. So he's, he's in his 30s already. So the feeling was, no, he's good to go, whatever it might be. I think the more interesting call will be as the season plays out, do they feel like he's one of these starters who is best served only facing a lineup twice or maybe just a couple of guys a third time through? Now, he got the chance actually to do it. And it was only the fifth inning, but he faced the top four hitters a third time and he retired three out of the four. So that wasn't really a problem you know, in this game. But I don't think they're going to be overly concerned with his workload for the season. They'll see how he's doing, how he feels along the way. But I don't think they're going to treat him like they do the younger guys just because he has done it before, even though it was a few years ago. We only saw two Nats relievers in this game. Mason Thompson and Anthony Banda. Thompson, I thought again, looked good. One run in three innings. He in the top of the eighth did give up a two out opposite field solo home run to Luke Rayleigh to left field. But, you know, to me, Mason Thompson going back to last season has pitched well. And one of the things that we remember discussing, right, was this idea of, hey, we're going to try to stretch out Mason Thompson and try to get him to, you know, pitch for multiple innings. We obviously saw that on Monday night and he did well in that role. Yeah, he's now thrown five innings for the season, and it was about to be scoreless for all five until that home run with two outs in the eighth. So the fact that he can be stretched out is good. When he's healthy, he's been good, and when he just throws strikes. His only real issue since we've seen him has been if he uh, he loses some command and can't find the strike zone. When he's over the plate, the stuff is good and the movement is there that he's quite effective. And yeah, I mean, he was on his way to a perfect three innings until that home run. So nice to see. And you know, it's a small thing, but they're in a stretch now with no off days. So if you can actually get through a game in which you're trailing pretty much the whole way and you get three innings out of one of your relievers and then another guy for one, that in theory should 
have a positive domino effect the day after and the day after that. And we just talked about Coors Field. You're probably going to need some pitching in that series and use up guys as much as possible. So saving a few bullets, at least in this one, maybe that's a good sign for what might come uh, in the next few days. Absolutely. And, you know, if Mason Thompson can be your, dare I say, new Paolo Espino, you know, your younger Paolo, or at least your Paolo part two, you know, someone who can consume multiple innings in a relief effort and pitch well in relief efforts like that, that's great. I mean, that's extremely valuable. The junior secret weapon? Junior secret weapon. Yes, you could say that. Secret weapon 2.0. I mean, there is something with Mason Thompson. I know it hasn't always been, you know, smooth with him with the Nats. But by and large, like, I think they got something with him when they acquired him via trade a couple of seasons ago. So uh, nice to see that. Anthony Banda was the other Nats reliever on display on Monday night. He worked the top of the ninth, gave up a run on two singles and an RBI sack fly, also committed a throwing error on a pickoff attempt. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kbert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare, for example. Mason has worked with DOJ, SEC, and all kinds of government lawyers to get law firm partnerships at some of the most prestigious firms in the country. He also regularly works with partners at law firms looking to upgrade their platforms or brands to firms to better fit those partners' practices. Or sometimes, okay, let's be honest, often, Mason Kalfas works with partners looking for more money as a fair reward for the business that the partners are bringing in. Even in the quote-unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfas will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Up comes the leg and the pitch. Swing and a fly ball left field deep. Rayleigh going back, way back to the warning track. He makes the catch. Three steps from the bullpen fence, and the game is over. C.J. Abrams trying to take advantage of that. Breeze going toward left and sends it to the warning track. Rayleigh, who has a two-homer game, hauls that one in for the final out. And the Rays have taken the opening game of this three-game series. Interesting twist to the Nationals lineup. You know, every lineup has been different so far this season. Like, I remember you said, you know, we're probably going to see a lot of mixing and matching with these Davey Martinez lineups this year. And sure enough, we have seen that. Joey Manessis is the only guy who's been in the same spot every game so far. DH, number two batter in all four games. But 
Ildemaro Vargas was your national starting left fielder on Monday night. He was in that starting left fielder and number eight battery. Went one for three with a single. Hey, we know about Vargas's positional versatility. We get that Corey Dickerson is on the 10-day injured list with the calf injury. But, you know, the Nats just brought up from the minor Stone Garrett. In theory, right, it was going to maybe be, hey, a Dom Smith or a Joey Manessis could play left field. I know that's not ideal. Was it surprising that Vargas got the nod here to start in left field on Monday night? I thought it was. Yeah, it was, especially when a day earlier, Davey essentially said that Alex Call would get the majority of the starts and that Stone Garrett would get in there at some point. I think it was mostly a matchup thing. They felt like for whatever reason, Vargas made more sense in this one. You're sacrificing some defense, although that didn't cost them in the game. He didn't have any trouble out there. But Ildemar Vargas isn't exactly an offensive threat (laughs) by a long shot. So I was kind of surprised by that this soon. Not that he wouldn't ever get a start out there, but he had just played shortstop the night before. Was it vital that his bat was back in the lineup? I, I don't think so. So yeah, I was surprised. I'll be interested to see how this goes moving forward. If it really is Alex Call's job, or maybe it isn't, and it's mixing and matching, and we don't know what Alex Call is. Okay, we haven't seen a lot of him. He's not some highly touted prospect. They picked him up off waivers from Cleveland late last season, but we've seen a little bit there that makes you say, okay, I'm intrigued to see what else he could do. We obviously haven't seen Stone Garrett here yet, but we know the reputation. Uh, If he gets a hold of one, he can hit it a mile. If he doesn't, which unfortunately he does more often than not, it's not pretty. But those are two guys who could have a future here. With due respect to Ildemaro Vargas, not so much. He's a veteran utility infielder. You got to have somebody like that on your team, but he's not a long-term building block. So I would hope as we move forward, as long as Dickerson is out, that we're going to see more of these younger guys who you want to see more of and could do something for you down the road. But it is a reminder, and I, I looked at the list and I wrote about it on MassInSports.com, the number of career infielders who have wound up playing left field for the Nationals at some point over the years is staggering. There are so many of them. I won't even go through the whole list because it's ridiculous how many of them there are. I don't know why this is. I want to believe it's more than other teams. Maybe everybody goes through this, but it feels like every year there's at least one, if not multiple, career infielders who end up starting at least one game in left field for them. Well, we saw Cesar Hernandez in left field at one point last year. But, you know, in recent seasons, when we have seen something like a guy put in left or, you know, the famous thing when we saw Alex Avila play at second base in 2021, that was done for emergency reasons or out of desperation. This was, you know, game four of the season. You have other options. I mean, maybe you're not in love with them, but you have other options. And instead, you go with Vargas in left field. Like, they did this because they wanted to do this, not because they had to do this. And I think that what was so striking about this it was like, this was a conscious choice of our best chance to win this game on Monday night was with Ildemaro Vargas in left field. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Now, he did get their first hit of the night, one of only four in the game. So maybe that was better than they would have gotten from the other guys. We'll never know. Yeah. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. The pitch clock system continues to be a beautiful thing. Another game that was well below three hours uh, for the Nationals 
on uh, Monday night. If you're following this across the majors, I mean, average time of game, the data that I saw during the day on Monday, I mean, it's down almost 30 minutes from last season. I mean, it is remarkable. Offense is actually a little bit up, small sample size, clearly, but uh, it's been really good to have this. So Tori Dean wrote us this email. She says, hi, really enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Tori. Continues, Tori. I had a question about the pitch clock. Can you speak to how it affects batter's ability to control the pace of an at-bat? I've seen at-bats changed completely because the batter who was, say, in the hole 0-2 stepped out and slowed the at-bat down. I've also seen pitchers do the same by stepping off the mound. This is my biggest frustration with the pitch clock, and I'm wondering how much it does or doesn't affect an at-bat. So yeah, there is a little bit of manipulating you can engage in with the pitch clock. We haven't seen a lot of that. I would think we probably will start to see some more of that as the season goes on. Yeah, I think so. As they start to get a real feel for this and understand what they can and can't do. And I think if anything, I've noticed this both in spring training and already in the first four games of the year, they're not just going quicker. They're going way quicker. The clock very rarely is ticking down to the wire. Batters are in the box ready to go often with 12, 13 seconds left. Pitchers starting their delivery, you know, only a second or two after that. They have a lot more time to play with. It may be that they're nervous and thinking, oh, no, I think of it like a basketball player. The clock's ticking down. You have one shot to win the game and you've got to go the length of the court. How many times do we see a guy heave up a three pointer and there's still two seconds showing and you don't realize how much time two seconds actually is. You can drive all the way to the hoop and try a layup kind of along those lines here. You can take it down to nine, eight seconds before you have to really be in the box. And the pitchers can then hold on to it right down to the end. So I'll be curious if they start doing that more. They are allowed, batters are allowed to call timeout once per plate appearance. Pitchers are allowed to step off the mound, disengage with the rubber twice per plate appearance. Maybe they will start doing that a little more. The guy who's done it the best with the Nats, and we saw it even in spring training, Alex Call will call time more than anybody else and trying to take back control of the at-bat and not let the pitcher dictate the pace, but him controlled himself. It wouldn't be that surprising if we start to see anybody go over the top and like every at-bat somebody's calling time because they can, and that might actually slow things down a lot, and all of a sudden we're not talking about how fast these games are. Well, we don't want that. So whatever we have to do to avoid that, we need to do. I think it's so interesting. And look, every pitcher is different, right? So there's not like some blanket statement that you can make. But, you know, you could argue, hey, the pitch clock is going to make things worse for pitchers because they have less time to rest between pitches. But then, you know, you also could say if you're the kind of guy who likes to get into a rhythm, you know, and when you get into a rhythm, you will operate quickly, but that's how you're at your best and you operate efficiently, you know, kind of like In the NFL, some offenses do their best when they're in those no huddle two minute situations where like, you know, you don't have to think about it. You just kind of go out and do and you're operating quickly. Maybe that can work to a pitcher's benefit. Again, it's probably going to be different for everyone, but I think that's going to be an interesting thing to monitor. Does the pitch clock enhance pitchers or does it take away from pitchers over the course of the season? I mean, I mentioned offense is a little bit up so far. I think it's too small of a sample to read anything into. But, you know, come like June, July, August, where are we with the numbers on the season? I think this year that's going to be especially notable. I think the best starting pitchers historically over time, more so starters than relievers, are the guys who work fast. That was Ray Miller's mantra, work fast, throw strikes, change speeds. Think of the best ones, Greg Maddox, even Mark Burley, who would toss a bunch of complete games. He worked really fast, catch the ball, set up, you control the pace. I think it benefits pitchers to keep that up. Now, yeah, you need to take a breath sometime and maybe a younger guy 
who might get caught up when things aren't going well, tries to rush it. No, you don't want that. But I think most pitchers are better off when they control the pace, and that usually means working fast. You tell us what you think. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Email Tim Shovers at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, too, at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. As you hopefully know, we did a number of episodes during the offseason. One of our favorite episodes was one in which we had the pleasure of speaking with the longtime radio voices of the Nats, Charlie and Dave. Charlie Slow's Dave Jagler. That has done record-setting numbers for the Nats Chat Podcast, so we first want to thank you for listening to that. But if for whatever reason you didn't get a chance to catch that, we certainly would encourage you to do so. Uh, Wherever you get this episode of the podcast, you can obviously find that episode of the podcast. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as uh, we enjoyed doing it. Al, before we go, I want to thank a listener of ours who I got to meet in person, was at the game, Yitz. He is a loyal listener of ours from Israel. He listens to us daily from Israel. He grew up in the area. He's back in town for Passover this week. He saw me on the field during BP and wanted to introduce himself. And I thanked him as we've talked about so much. It is so cool to see how many people listen to us on a daily basis from across the globe and we have a new one to add to it, Yitz from Israel. So thank you to him for that. He was one of the few who was at this game. It wasn't the lowest crowd. I was wrong about that prediction. 10,754, second smallest crowd in Nationals history. But thank you to Yitz for braving it at the game tonight and saying hello. Yeah. Unfortunately, probably not the last time we'll have an official attendance at Nationals Park this season under 11,000. But that is the way that things are for this season. And uh, I think we all know that uh, as this season progresses. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com and Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the pitch. Swing and a fly ball deep left center field. This is way back to the warning track to the wall and it is gone goodbye. Into the brew house red seats. Jamer Candelario. Bang! Zoom! He goes rounding third. 